Hello, and welcome to Calamity, a podcast about natural and not-so-natural disasters. In each episode, we examine a catastrophic event from world history. We are your hosts, the Kuhlman Sisters. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Jillian. And normally, there'd be three of us, but Jayma is, once again, still gallivanting around the globe. It's a rather long gallivant, but that's par for the course for her. So we're just, you know, pulling pulling the extra slack for her. Is that is that the phrase? We're uh, picking up the slack, yeah. Picking up the slack. There we go. Yeah. Um, or what's the other phrase? I think you're combining two. Pulling, I definitely am. Pulling her weight. <laughs> pulling her I weight. Like, I don't think she'd like yep. that one. <laughs> and, <laughs> and picking up the slack. Probably neither of them, really. <laughs> no, no. What? Well, well we got to do what we got to do. Uh, yes. She's moved on from Czech Republic to England. She's in London. Um, so, bully for her. Okay, today's disaster is the Love Canal disaster. Normally, I would give a year to this disaster happened, but this is going to be a slightly longer story because the wow. disaster happened over... Over about a century, so oh, we're going to start at the beginning. That, I think, is the longest calamity yet. It is. No, 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 wait. Um, I covered a volcano once, and I feel like if I'm really particular, I could say that it takes eons for volcanoes to form. So, anyway, I will let you go ahead with the story. <laughs> it's not a competition, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the Love Canal. I like the name. Yeah. Um, how did it, how did it get the, get its name? Do you know that? Yes, I do. So, um, there was a man in 1890. Uh, his name was William T. Love. L O V E. So it's named after him. It's not like the love boat. It's not like a romantic. <laughs> Canal. It's just named after the guy who built the thing. Okay. Uh, he was an ambitious entrepreneur, and he had made a bunch of money in the railroads. And uh, there was this property that was right near the city of Niagara Falls, uh-huh. which is, of course, the city in New York that sits right um, at the top of Niagara Falls. And so he he bought up some of that the land that was right next to the city and he was planning this like a model community. And you mean like a, a, a you utopia. mean like a a utopia? Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was it was gonna be this beautiful park like community. It was supposed to be he claimed it would be the most beautiful park in the whole world. And it was gonna have room for a million people. Wow. Like housing. Big. And uh, it was going to have its own hydroelectric plant. And so the canal was intended, because he was going to build a canal that was a, it would double as a thin lane um, from the top of the falls to the bottom. So it was basically a way around, for ships to get around the, the falls. Okay. Because... I don't know if you know this or not, but Niagara Falls is not navigable. 
what? No, that's in either direction. (laughs) I have heard of several people who have navigated it successfully, and several who have not. But yeah, yeah, maybe maybe those are just small vessels, Caitlin. Those are larger shipping. Those are what we call a barrel. (laughs) (laughs) So. Uh, that was the plan, and he did get some investors, some big banks in uh, New York and, and London were excited about the project. Again, this is 1890. It was um, kind of a time of growth, and there was a bit of a boom going on. Mm-hmm. So he got started on building this, and he did. He built about a mile of the canal of which was not anywhere near the whole thing. Then he was just digging it out. So you don't imagine a canal filled with water just yet. Okay. But he's digging it out and he's planning out, you know, clearing the land, making a grid to put the houses in. Um, he's got a few different uh, industrial factories and plants that are interested in moving into the area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are a few companies that, that, uh, set up base there, but in 1894, so we're just like four years into this project, there is a, well, something, it's called the the Panic of 1894, or I also, in the different sources, saw the Panic of 1893, so I'm not entirely sure exactly when everyone panicked, but it's one of those national economic panics. Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what it was that went wrong, but suddenly people were freaked out about money and banking and everything. Yeah. This isn't like the Great Depression kind of thing, but it is, you know, it's the kind of thing that always happens after there's just kind of an inflated bubble and some industries and then everything collapses and people freak out. A lot of uncertainty. Yeah. So his investors pull out of the project and, of course, when people are freaking out, no one wants to move and buy up my property, even if it is the most beautiful park in the world. Yeah. So the project is abandoned. Um, William T. Love moves on to Ontario somewhere, and he starts some other projects, I think, involving railroads again. But uh, the property, which is like 70 acres or so, um, the property is abandoned and eventually foreclosed on in 1910. Okay. So, again, it's like partially built, not built, but prepared for building, mm-hmm. but partially developed. And so that canal that he had dug gradually filled with water. And okay. um, I think that's just like a natural thing that happens over time. It was a canal and water either during the flooding times or in the spring when the water table was higher. Mm-hmm. It just kind of naturally, the, the piece of the canal that he had dug was uh, it filled with water, but it wasn't really a canal because it didn't right. go anywhere. Does that make sense? Right. I'm, I'm thinking more like standing water, probably like kind of a growth sludge. I mean, depending on how deep it is, but, um, you know, just yeah, a portion of canal not going it's anywhere. At least, it's at least 25 feet deep. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but at least at first it was a place that um, uh, children and, and other people swam in it, and in the winters they would skate on it. Okay. So, it, I mean, it, it wasn't too gross, at least not at first. Mm-hmm. That's going to change uh, <laughs> for 
see just a little bit of foreshadowing there. Um, it's probably not foreshadowing if I tell you it's foreshadowing, is it? That's <laughs> just telling you. Okay, so the canal fills with water, and children are skating there. The city of Niagara Falls is expanding slowly like everything does. And so this um, community of Love Canal basically becomes a community um, for a neighborhood. It was part of the city of Niagara Falls. Almost like a suburb or it just kind of, yeah. the land was there and it was it was prepared and as the nearby city began to expand, I'm sure some other developer was like, hey, there's a lot of flat land over here with this, you know, everything's been plowed over and flat, you know. So, okay, that makes sense. Um, on the piece of the site where the canal itself is, Mm-hmm. And how you come to make this kind of a decision, I don't know. But in the 1920s, uh, so the, the land's been abandoned and foreclosed on for, for a decade now, or over a decade. Um, the city of Niagara Falls decided to use the canal as a dump site for residential waste. Hmm. So what were they, they'd pick up the trash and then what they were they using before? They had a different landfill somewhere, but that one filled up was full. Was yeah, okay. At capacity, and so they decided, well, this is already, you know, we've got this thing dug already. Let's just put all our waste in there. <laughs> what a great what a idea! Um, just just a juxtaposition between what this man, Mister Love, who was beginning to, yes. to dig the canal out, like his dreams a of grandeur. And then it literally is a receptacle for trash. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. So how did that go? I mean, I understand we have to put our trash somewhere, but I just have a hard time being like, let's put it in this really nice canal that children like swimming in. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. It went okay. Um, there was also a company. Well, this kind of came about a little bit later. We're in the 19, the early 1940s. There's a chemical company nearby, and it's called the Hooker Chemical Company. Um, just one of many heavy industries in the area. Um, they get permission from the city because it's already a dump site, and this chemical company needs a place to dump their toxic waste. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they get permission from the city to go ahead and, and dump the toxic waste in the canal as well. So it's no longer just the household waste from the city. It's also this toxic waste, and it is stored in 55-gallon barrels. Mm-hmm. You know, like a big, you know what those are. Yeah. Um, so, they're, they, you know, the waste is sealed into these barrels, and then the barrels are, are sunk into the canal. Okay. Um, the canal, of course, is not really a canal. There is still a little bit of water in it at some point. When the when the barrels go in, but uh, it is slowly becoming not a canal anymore. And yeah, it's filling up with crap. Yeah, um, I'm uh, I'm having a flashback, Jillian. Um, have are you, you seen Have you seen the movie Sahara? Sahara yes, yes, love that with movie. The the chemical waste that it's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it is hilarious. Anyway, I. I'm catching on to your foreshadowing. How about that? In these 
barreled, yeah. you know, drums that you're speaking of, and, and I can see bad things happening in, in uh-huh. the near future. So, I bet whoever wrote that screenplay is well aware of the Love Canal disaster. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. So they start dumping waste there in 1942. Um, do, oh, they drain the canal. That's right. Uh, they eventually drain the canal and they line the base with thick clay, which is supposed to kind of seal anything, any leakage. Uh-huh. Uh, so then they fill it with, with the 55-gallon drums. Okay. Well, that and was then the a little bit of an effort. Yeah. And yes. A little, a little bit of effort, um, and then in 1947. So this is they're about they've been dumping their waste there for about five years. The city decides to stop using the site. They move on to something else, and so the Hooker Chemical Company buys the canal, which is really just a, a dump, a landfill mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, they buy it. So the, so the company it's now privately owned again. Uh, and they continue dumping there. So there's a population increase in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great time. People are buying washing machines and whatever else people did in the 50s. I feel like <laughs> washing machines was the main thing that they did. Uh, I think there was a lot of hair being done. They did hair, and I think they made jello molds. Yes, those three things. I have no idea what the jello salad with the the fruit (laughs) that really grosses medley cocktail thing stuck inside. (laughs) I think that was what they were doing in the fifties. And they, of course, were building a bunch of homes in that area. So all along the canal, um, there are homes being built. Because at this point, the the chemical company has. filled up the canal, it's covered over with dirt, and it's just kind of overgrown. Oh, okay. So okay. they've covered it with dirt. They're not actually actively putting new barrels in there? Well, they they must be at some portion of it because there okay. are, later when this gets investigated and litigated, um, they find some memo, memorandums that seem to indicate that they were like, maybe we should stop dumping toxic waste in these areas where there are people living. Mm-hmm. And those those uh, memos go back and forth between the bigwigs before they make a decision. But, okay. Uh, anyway, there's a big population increase, and the city of Niagara Falls needs to build several more schools. To, yeah, that's what happens when you get a, a population increase. Where do you think this is going? Well, I'm catching on to even more foreshadowing now. Um, <laughs> so how close were the schools to the dump site? <laughs> well, here's the thing. They like were looking across around the for places to build, oh. and the landfill, which is now just kind of a flat, grassy area, uh-huh. the landfill having been buried underneath the ground, looks like it's a pretty great option. That's so weird. I didn't. <laughs> so they approached the Hooker Chemical Company. Oh, okay. And they want to, they are, 
they're kind of threatening to take the land via eminent domain. That's that law where if the government wants the land, they can pay you the value of it and just take it. Oh. But the bigwigs at Hooker Chemical, they see a way out of liability for this terrible chemical, which has been, you know, they've been wondering what to do with the site for a while. It's a it's a public health hazard. They know that, um, though they're not, you know, telling anyone about it. They're just keeping okay, that under wraps. So, okay. So they're thinking if we sell it to the city, because the city wants it anyway, it's a win-win where they are no longer liable for the health um, yes. uh, the health problems you and then it's it. the city's problem, right? See, you have a very devious mind just like they do. <laughs> well, <laughs> yep, great minds think alike. Uh-huh, exactly. So they decide that they will sell the property. They don't. They don't. Rather than having the city just take the property from them, they will sell it to the property. Or I'm sorry, sell it to the school district for one dollar. Oh, and they in the sales contract they include a clause that is about liability, and uh-huh. the clause explains that they will the company will not be liable for any kind of litigation that comes forward or financial obligations because now the school district's um, responsibility to take care of the toxic waste that's buried in the drain. Mm -hmm. So the school people do know there's a toxic waste dump there, or at least they know it's a waste dump. I don't know how toxic, if they know how toxic it is, but they're aware of that. Um, but Hooker Chemical kind of is saying, hey, we, you know, it's all sealed up in, in play, um, and I'm sure it's safe. They do, at first, they try to convince the school district to turn the land into a park and put the school, like, way off on the edge, like, kind of yeah. away from the main area, but the school district won't sign that contract. They're like, oh, we we, we need to build a school, like, right in the middle of this area, so they give in, and they're like, okay, fine, that's, you know, wherever you'd like, just make sure you don't, you don't dig too deep. Yeah. So they go to work building the school there, and in the process, they do the, the, um, the construction people do, like, right away, uh, like, break through the clay, and there's a an area that like, fills up with toxic water. Uh-huh. So they cover that back up and they move the placement of the school um, like 800 feet away from where it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So they do, then they start to build again. Wow. So, but it's, it's still um, kind of right on or near the, the way something it, it the way it turns out the um the kindergarten playground turns out to be directly above the toxic like the most toxic the most toxic area i so. i don't know i don't want to sound um like really really judgmental because i know that hindsight is 
so much more clear than how things present themselves, you know, in the moment. And I also know that we've learned a whole lot since 1945. Um, but I don't know, like how the construction <laughs> people, I mean, there's so many, so many people um, involved along the way uh, with various positions. I'm really surprised that no one at any level was saying, What's this green stuff that's bubbling up? Is that good for our children? Oh, it's great. Let's go for it. <laughs> I know, but the thing is, you know, I mean, the residents weren't the ones doing the building, and the builders had, you know, they had an interest in, you know, maintaining the project. And so if you think about, like, everyone's, like, goals and rewards were set up in such a way that, it, it was no one's responsibility to do anything about it. And in fact, yeah. everyone, you know, in order to make money or to successfully build a school or whatever they, their goal was, hmm. had to look the other way. So, yeah. Yeah. And they you know, they weren't breaking any laws, is the other thing. None of, none of this is illegal yet. Right. Okay. So I don't think it becomes illegal at all at any point. So um, let's see. Construction activity breached the containment structures, chemicals seeped out. In addition, they had a couple of years of really heavy rainstorms, which caused runoff and um, erosion. Um, after the school was built and open, there was a 25-foot area somewhere, not like right under the building, but somewhere on the school property, um, a 25-foot square area that crumbled, like it collapsed in. Uh-huh. Uh, and again, this was after heavy rains. So that it actually collapsed in and exposed the drums. And those holes were filled with, they filled up with rainwater and groundwater. And um, there's, talk, there's a stories about um, giant puddles forming in the, uh, the playground. Yeah. It used to happen on our playground when we were kids sometimes when it rained or in the spring. There were yeah. these giant puddles and the kids loved to run through them. Absolutely. So, like a um, kid so they were a little they were a little oily looking and mm -hmm. um, didn't smell very good, but the yeah, the children would run and splash in the puddles. And um so yeah, the school was going well. They had at least at the elementary school they had four hundred students. And then about six blocks away, they built a junior high as well that had another four or 500 students. Then there was some land around the edges of the property that the school didn't need, and so they sold that land off to uh, land developers, and then it was further sold off individually to homeowners. Uh -huh. So now this piece that was owned just by the Hooker Chemical Company is now owned by the school plus a bunch of individual people. Yeah, residents. And those and at this point the the school doesn't have to or need to really disclose the history of the land. Like they didn't do anything to the land except build a school on it. So they when they sell the land to the developers, uh you know, there's no caveats or anything. It's just right. a land sale, a regular land sale. Uh, and as the city, or, or I'm sorry, the developers are beginning to, to develop that area, they, the, one of the first things you've got to do is put in a sewer system. 
Right. Yeah. And uh, at some point, the Hooker Chemical Company does get wind that this is happening, and they kind of make a, a feeble effort to kind of say, hey, it, you know, when we sold that property, we kind of we didn't intend for there to be people living on it, or, mm-hmm. you know, we really don't think you should be doing too much digging there. Yeah. But then when pressed, they're like, oh, yeah, no, 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 the chemicals are contained. They're all sealed tight, nice and tight in the clay containment canal, which is no longer true. But right. um, So, yeah, as the construction of the individual homes on the property is going on, they uh, the, they break through the clay walls when they're putting in the sewer system, the sewer pipes. And um, then they don't at any point get it doesn't get resealed at any point. So so so, te- so technically, we're not really sure that the clay wall was really up to the standard that we'd like. But hey, at least it was <laughs> something. And now we've yeah. gone in and and whatever small amount of standard we did have is now gone. So pretty much useless. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm sure the clay wall is intact at various places, but there's been so many holes in it mm-hmm. that it, anything can pretty much leak and leach out into the surrounding soil. Yeah. And and again, the waste was sealed in those drums, but we all know those aren't going to stay sealed. Not That's forever. The world works. Right. So um, maybe they weren't leaking when you put them in there, but over you know, for the last 50 years that they've been sitting underground, you know, trees of tree roots have gone in there, and <laughs> mm-hmm. what? Who knows? Whatever else has, has caused them to rust and leak, or whatever. So, um, yeah. So people people live in the area. The this neighborhood is still called Love Canal. It's a nice little community. I've seen pictures. It's it's about I would say maybe middle class. But like working class, you know what I mean. These are people. The people who own these houses are working class families. You know, they they maybe work in in heavy or light industry. You know, these aren't you know executives necessarily. These are just middle class families from yeah. in the fifties. And uh, the area does have a problem with. Um, obviously, just like at the school, when there's heavy rains, some gross, oily sludge kind of comes up out of the ground in their lawns and driveways and stuff. Um, But also, a whole bunch of them that have basements, they'll have seepage in the basement. And it's this weird, like, discolored... I've seen some some photos of it. It's kind of, it's just this. You know, when it, when a basement is leaking, it kind of just gets these like moisture spots. Yeah. But this is like really discolored, and it gave off a bad odor. Mhm. And so the families really hated it, but they didn't. It wasn't like that. You know, you can go to your local scientist and have them test it. Um, yeah. You know, they didn't really know what it was, and you know, they owned the hot the house. So what are you gonna do? Yeah. Um, so. They were kind of stuck. Okay. This is a good story so far. Right? <laughs> Let's see. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
As usual, my notes are not in any kind of useful order. <laughs> You'd think at well, some point I would get good at this, but no. Okay. Toxic waste I'm suspecting based okay. on foreshadowing that the next thing we're going to talk about is well, the... Probably uh, everything just goes perfectly well and it becomes a utopian <laughs> garden community. Yeah, right? That's that, that's where I was thinking it was going to go, yeah. <laughs> no, no, okay. no. People probably have to... They start getting sick. Um, I mean... Yeah, I want to... I want to take us to the 1970s. So 1978, there is a local newspaper in the city of Niagara Falls, and um, because some of the families have been complaining about the smells and the seepage in their basements and leakages and stuff, a reporter does some digging and finds a scientist to do some tests, and they they actually look into the history of the property because none of the residents had any idea. And so they, yeah. they report in the paper, it's kind of this big, uh, well, I don't know how big it was at first, but it, it was this kind of major story that, oh, by the way, the Love Canal neighborhood was actually um, completely built on this toxic waste site. And mm-hmm. that's probably the cause of all that leakage. And the citizens of that neighborhood read that article and they got really mad. I bet. I have every reason to be. Yeah. So they are kind of and the, the most um the most famous person is named Lois Gibbs. She's just a, a regular uh stay at home mom from the community, but um she ends up becoming the voice for the for the community. They she helps form a love canal uh housing association so they kind of they they band together and they start making a bunch of noise at city council meetings and they're writing to state officials they're complaining in the newspaper they're getting they're going on tv Mm -hmm. uh, using the media to to start like demanding answers they don't exactly know what's wrong yet like they're pretty freaked out by the idea that there might be chemical waste in their areas where the children are playing and learning and living. Um, So the city, um, I think the the city does some preliminary tests and also the state sends some environmental folks, like a team of scientists in to do some tests of the groundwater, um, soil, and the air. They take Uh some samples. And they also go through and do a preliminary um, investigation by talking to the different residents and learning about their medical histories. That's good. It is good. Um, and what they find out, so when they publish the results, um, it well, first of all, it was a preliminary report. So the intention was to give the information just to the higher-ups at the state and maybe at the city level uh, and then decide what to do before they release it to the public. But it was leaked, yeah. like right away. It was leaked. Oh. Um, there's a lot of leaking in this story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a good pun. I like it. <laughs> Seeped out of their hands and oozed into the community. <laughs> and uh, and 
So again, they're they're freaking out, and the what they come to find out is that there are uh, twenty thousand tons of toxic waste, and they have identified one hundred different chemicals that are chemical compounds that are in there, and at least eleven of them are known to be toxic uh, to humans or and or carcinogens cancer wow. causing. Mm-hmm. So the the citizens are also talking to each other now because they're kind of in a club and it they start realizing that um pretty much every house on the streets, you know, you you have had a miscarriage and your neighbors had a miscarriage and your other neighbors had two miscarriages and so and it's like no one is spared. And of course miscarriages are very common but um not so common that every single woman will have one. Right, or multiple. Um, but it was happening a lot, and there were also uh, birth defects at a higher yeah. rate. I was just going to say that. Um, genetic abnormalities. There were um, people who were born with a very low birth weight, and they had uh, breathing problems, skin rashes, mm-hmm. increase in abdominal problems, um, just a bunch of a bunch of medical things that couldn't really be accounted for. This community had higher rates of all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they they went through and did a blood test. So everyone who lived in the in the city of Love Canal uh, went in for a blood test, and and the results came out. About a quarter of the population were seen to have chromosomal abnormalities, which um, meant that it was like actually had gotten into their genes and changed like something was was wrong at the genetic level. Wow. That's bad. That's not good yeah. at all. So the the um the city or no the state says, Okay, listen, this is dangerous. We need all women pregnant women and children two and and younger to immediately evacuate. Uh-huh. Uh that didn't go over very well with the residents well, who were who had a child who was like two years old, like plus a month, twenty five months old, oh, or yeah. or women who were trying to get pregnant but weren't currently pregnant. So if you think about yeah. it, like if it's dangerous for them and they have to evacuate immediately, yeah, then why are we still living here? So, um, this the state agrees to, uh evacuate to permanently rehome the homes that are right along basically the two rows of houses that are right along the edge of the canal. Uh-huh. Um and again the canal is just it's not a canal anymore. But right. the canal well, is underground. Canal. So you have to kind of imagine it. But yeah. Like a strip of, so of there's land, this long strip. But but, but yeah. land has uh, quotations around it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So they, they, those people, um, the state buys their houses, and they're able to to go move wherever they want to move. Um, and then the state raises all those houses, just tears them down, mm-hmm. puts a chain link fence around that area. Um, mm-hmm. It's just it's just grass now, flat and covered in grass, uh, but with a chain link fence, so nobody can go in there. Oh. And 
And what and year did that happen? What ha- that was still uh, the we're in the 70s. We're in 1978. Okay. And then um, for the folks who live outside the fence, uh, they get pretty mad. I mean, it's one thing, especially the people who, like, you go out your front door and or back door and the fence is, like, right there yeah. at the edge of your property. And, like, okay, yeah. like, how does that become a safe zone? You know, how you know how do we know that we're safe, too? And they were doing additional tests, and there definitely were some – there was some evidence that it wasn't completely safe outside that area. There was also some – some studies came back and it seemed like it was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, in any case, the, the residents got really mad and they staged sit-ins and marches and protests. They called um, their state representative. They called uh, President Jimmy Carter was running for re-election, and so uh-huh. they were they were making national news at this point. And my favorite tactic they had so. Jimmy Carter sent some folks from the EPA yeah. down to the city hall to talk to these people and try to kind of uh, teach them and explain to them what was going on in, a, in an attempt to to convince them that it was safe and to calm them down. Well, that's and, it's not safe. Right, and I don't think the scientists lied. I've seen some of the footage. They do. They are kind of saying, yeah, well, this is concerning and that's concerning, but, you know, these levels are not. You know, we don't, you know, I mean, they're being honest about it, but they're saying, you okay. know, it's, 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 deadly, to, but it's not good. It, it's kind of like they're just trying to bring um, the tone down a little. Like, you know, you've yeah. got really, really freaked out people, and I think they have every right to be freaked out. But I also know that there's a point at which when you're that kind of out of your regular mind, you're not actually helpful or useful or um, constructive. Um, so maybe yeah. they were trying to to bring some, uh, I don't know, not debate, but just bring some reason to the table and like kind uh-huh. of talk things through. So that they weren't trying to sweep it under the rug. You're saying they're they're more just trying to approach it professionally, right? right? You're right. These guys have been primarily dealing with politicians up until this point, so they mm-hmm. sent some actual scientists out to talk to them, which is a, a nice idea, yeah. but. Like you said, when people are really angry, they don't always act appropriately. And <laughs> right. they said, hey, if you guys think this is so safe, then you guys have to live here now. And so they took <laughs> the EPA. I'm, I'm not even kidding you. They held them hostage. Oh, my gosh. They, they were supposed to let them leave City Hall. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, they're like, hey, you say it's safe, and you have to live here. Um, which, of course, was really just a big media circus. I mean, it, it was all across the national news. Oh, I bet. And they only ended up holding them hostage for five hours. Um, <laughs> President President Carter came on the news and said, okay, okay, we will we will evacuate all of you. So the entire Whoa. city oh, of hey. Love Canal, we will Good go ahead and we'll part. buy your That's exactly what they wanted. They did. They said, okay, we'll buy your houses. And you guys can can move wherever you want to move, which um, I mean that was the main thing. Obviously, they could they could have left anytime they wanted, but they needed the deal that the other people had gotten, where the government buys their house. Because otherwise, these are working class people. You can't just move 
out, you know, when you still owe money on a mortgage, and obviously you yeah. can't sell your land to anyone else because no one yeah. wants to live there. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the government caves, and they they agree to pay, and these people start moving out. They start evacuating like the very next day. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I think because this has been going on for, for uh, at least a year at this point, they a lot of them kind of already had a plan of where to go. Like, if the government gives us the money, we'll go, we'll move here yeah. or there or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or so they were really relatives that crashed with for a short period of time and then. But I'm, I mean, that makes total sense. Like, if I was in their shoes, maybe I don't have a new house purchased yet, but I would definitely have an extra strategy. Like, the moment yeah. I know there's a deal, I'm going to live with cousin so and so in, you know, Virginia. Get my family out of here. Yep. None of this toxic place stuff that I lived in. Yeah. Um, so that that turned out good. Um, however, I'm not done with the story yet. Uh, well, first of all, the for the government to buy all those houses, that was crazy expensive. And it was the, they don't have money set aside for that kind of thing at this time. So right. they end up using the um, the emergency fund, which prior to this had only ever been used for natural disaster relief. Mm-hmm. That's what it was set aside for. So Congress actually has to make a new law in order to allow that fund to be opened up for this type of disaster, a uh-huh. man-made kind of disaster. And they end up passing a law called CERCLA, C-E-R-C-L-A, um, which stands for, uh, oh gosh, <laughs> Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act, Ooh, which is better, known, better known as the Superfund Act. Have you heard of Superfund? I have not, but I would say Superfund is rolls off the tongue a lot more, a lot better than the acronym you just said. Yes, <laughs> I agree. Um, basically, they set up this fund. It's a it's tax on chemical companies and petroleum companies, are those industries anyway, uh-huh. um, that creates this giant fund, this pot of money that the government can then use to clean up toxic waste. Well, that's where it may be. And the idea is um, because when when you find out that there's toxic waste somewhere, you've got to get the people out of there right away. Yeah. But figuring out no who's liable and who should actually pay, that takes mm-hmm. litigation and it can take years. Mm-hmm. So the way the fund is set up is so the government can go ahead and pay the money out of this emergency account. And then after that, after the, the land is made safe again and the initial – you know, the initial trite is over, uh, the danger has passed, then they can focus on going after the company that messed up the site in the first place. Right, and then they can so find, in the, end, the, find the company. Chemical, yeah. Yeah. Hooker Chemical Company, which at this point has changed its name to Occidental Chemical Company, they do end up having to pay um, millions of dollars. <laughs> which I probably wrote down in my notes, but who knows what page that would be on. Um, in the end, the 
there were 800 families relocated. And, oh, the Act also set up something called the retroactive liability, which is this idea that even if what your company did was not illegal at the time, uh-huh. because, again, technically they hadn't broken any laws. Right. There weren't any regulations, but retroactive retroactive liability says, you know, you even though you didn't break any laws, you caused this massive problem that cost millions of dollars to fix, and so you still are liable, liable even if you try to weasel out of it via contract or even if you didn't technically break any laws at the time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's pretty clever. I'm sure there are people who think that's massive government overreach, but it makes sense to me. Well, after hearing the story, yeah, and, and, you know, one of the things that I like about this podcast is we are able to learn, like, here's this bad thing that happened, um, but here's the changes that were made to make sure that we don't have another situation like this again. Um, yeah, now, or if we do, we've got a plan for how to handle it. Exactly, yeah. Um, I I know that across the country we've had several, prob- probably a lot more than I than I even I'm aware of um, yes. similar it's, situations. Several you mean you mean upwards of 400 and yes. Really? Oh my yes. gosh. The Superfund has been used over 400 times in the years since since it was created in 1979. Oh my gosh. Including yes. um, here in Washington State there was uh, the Hanford um, waste site down in you know, the Tri-Cities. That's one of the Superfund sites. Mm-hmm. And I think there's um, a couple of the big mines out in in Montana where they had all this, this these mine tailings that were leaching yeah. into the water and causing problems for different small towns out in Montana. Those ended up being cleaned up by Superfund as well. Now, as you know, all of my knowledge base it rests on movies. Yes. Um, so, like Aaron Aaron Brockovich would yes. have been reaching into the same pot of money potentially. Potentially, yes. I do not well, know. In that story, it doesn't ever talk about Superfund, and I'm sure that that company was eventually made to pay. But I, but it's um, another example of that type of thing. So I don't, yeah, I don't know if that one's actually Superfund or not. But yeah, yes, it's it's exactly that kind of thing. So I have a follow-up um, question, if you're ready for one. Sure. So we've talked about relocating these people, getting them out of harm's way um, immediately, which is obviously the first step, but I feel as though, um, you know, these people are, they're going to have ongoing health problems for the rest of their lives. Um, Some of their lives might be forfeit and, you know, birth defects and the whole thing. So does the super fund, is it just specific to getting people out of the contaminated area and then um, the rest? of making a person whole, in quotations, um, is handled through fines um, once a company is held liable? or yes, just... I, I believe that's how it works. But the, okay. the money in the fund is used to get the people out of the area and then to clean up the site so that it's no okay. longer dangerous. And so um, it's almost, it goes, it goes almost, it's almost like the endangered species list. So once it's declared a toxic waste site, a super fun site, um, then it's it's on their list and they can start getting folks in there to do a cleanup 
to mm-hmm. either move the chemicals and pick them up and put them somewhere safer. There's not a real safe place, a toxic place, but yeah. um, uh, dispose of them in some safer way. Or in this case, it, it was determined that it was just too big to move. So they um, they dug around it and put new barriers in, including a carefully designed drainage system so that water in and around that area, um, when it drains out, it doesn't just seep into the groundwater in the nearby mm-hmm. communities. It, it's directed to flow in a specific, specific way in order to be collected and disposed of. So mm-hmm. okay. um, that's what they did. I do not think um, that the government paid for people's health problems, partially because you couldn't prove that it was that it was because of like specifically because of this True. that you're that you had a miscarriage or that your you know your baby was born premature or something you know right I mean right. as a group and when you can look at look at it kind of as the numbers you're like yeah these these birth rates are too high or not birth rates but these these and um, illness rates are too high but once you get to a specific case and you're trying to litigate that case, I mean, if you think about it, a, a good defense lawyer could come in and be like, you know, you know, it wasn't us. I mean, what other carcinogens? I mean, have you been smoking? Or, you know, do you do you ever drink alcohol during your pregnancy? Have you, you know, what other unhealthy things have you been doing? And, and so on an individual case, I don't think that there was any way any of them could prove. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I say just, their health problems had to be handled just like anyone else. But okay. Um. So the site, the site in this particular case, the site got cleaned up. It was cleaned up right away. It was taken off the Superfund site in 2004, but really it had been it had been cleaned up for a couple decades by then. They cleaned it up right away. They were it was the very first thing to go on their list, so it was one of the first that they. Kind of in the early 2000s, I think they started cleaning up the list, saying, "Okay, technically this one is done. Like we clearly uh-huh. it's not perfect. We still need to monitor it." Yes. Uh, and they do. They do all kinds of, of uh, environmental testing in that area uh, still today. But it's not technically considered a super fun, an active super fun site because it doesn't need any further attention other than testing. Yep. To make sure that it's all still. Yeah. So here's here's what happened with that community. So again, 800 families moved out. So that's um, mostly single-family homes, but there were some apartment buildings there too. And they only tore down those initial homes that were right along the canal. Yeah. The two blocks. Yeah. Um, the other houses. Sorry, the two rows uh, of houses. After, yeah. After sitting empty for. A little while, the other houses were. I mean, they, the city eventually started like retrofitting them with with new materials and re- renovating and um, making them nice again. Uh-huh. Um, certainly, making sure that their basements didn't have toxic sludge inside. Um, but you know, it actually became uh, a great place for people to buy a home because those home prices were really low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there were actually quite a few investors who, and, and individual families who were like, hey, I mean, 
the government's testing the site constantly. There's probably not a safer place for us to live. Plus, we can actually afford to buy this house. But we otherwise wouldn't be able to buy a house. So, okay. so actually, all those homes ended up being sold. Um, but 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 long after the cleanup had been initiated, and you know, like that. that at first, I was going to be upset. But if you're telling me that there's some time lapse between <laughs> these things. Um, yeah, the time lapse was probably only five or six years. Uh huh. Um, but they certainly but, wouldn't yeah, have. The homes, they the have, homes had been renovated and fixed up, so. And, um, and it wasn't and like they, anyone was moving into a house that still had active sludge slash fumes slash whatever. And they and they're testing the ground to to make sure that these people are are buying a good product that's not going to make them sick, right? Someone is, yes. Yes. That's all I um, 1988 is when people started moving back in. Okay. So, yeah, that was actually just under a decade. Okay. From when it was initially declared a super fun site. Um, uh would I say 1988? So in 2011, yeah. there was a city crew repairing the sewer line about a mile from the landfill, and they were digging down, and they discovered a pocket of chemical waste. Wow. Um, and that, of course, made everyone crazy. Yep. The city, they came out and said, well, this is just, you know, it's just a pocket. I don't know who would even believe this. It doesn't make any sense to me. But, like, it's not seeping all the way out here. It's a mile away. They're sure it's an anomaly. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> this is probably just a leftover piece from the original mess that didn't get cleaned up. Because it's a mile away from the central area. But anyway, so yeah. they, they cleaned up that little area. Um, but who knows how many other little pockets of nastiness are out there. Yeah. Um... And, you know, I think that's pretty much the story. So, people, again, it's, it does occasionally come up in the news as people are um, yeah, either finding more toxic nastiness or if there's sometimes like a, a high chemical reading on one of their tests or something that might be in the news a little bit. But for the most part, it's all cleaned up and the families that live there now are fine-ish. I'm going to go with fine-ish. Yeah. I don't want to say they're the happiest, safest, healthiest people in the world. But um, there's no there's the, no one yeah. like dead from this, like not immediately dead. You know what I mean? Well, the, Even the, the people that, who like jumped around in the sludge puddles and the workers who dug down into the toxic sludge to lay pipes for the sewer, even those people, they, you know, they got skin rashes and they maybe had a higher incidence of cancer later in life, which you can't exactly tell if it was because of that or not. Uh-huh. You know, there, there were no immediate, it was, not, it was not the type of chemical where you would immediately keel over and die. Okay. It's not radioactive or anything. Yeah. And I think that the thing that helps me, I guess, handle the information that you have new residents living in these homes, um, it's it's all about 
uh, disclosure and knowing. Like, yeah. you know, the, the families that initially moved in had literally no idea. And you're right. Like, you, you, you think in hindsight, maybe those people should have wondered what the oil was and what the, the smell was. And but, well, I'm, sure um, they, I'm sure they did. It's just a matter of, you know, but, whose job is it? Like, who do you even ask about that? Yeah, and you know what? I don't talk to my neighbors a whole heck of a lot. I should, but yeah. I don't. And so, you know, just not not having that hub, as you as you were explaining, um, of kind of just sharing notes with your neighbor. Oh, I have that problem, too. I have that problem, too. Um, so no, yeah. this new community, um, who, who you know, new group of home buyers who live there now, um, they know everything about the history, and it, yeah. if it's a risk, it's a risk that they're taking on, you know, w- with full knowledge about. So it's yes. it's a much different, much better situation. It is, and of course, in addition to the Superfund legislation, the EPA regulations about how to store and dispose of toxic waste have changed massively in the past 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, You know, among other things as far as what, how you can dispose of it, where you can, um, how often you need to test it, and what your liability would be if you didn't do it right, et cetera. So, Mm -hmm. um, as usual, yeah, it's a terrible disaster, and it led to better policies and, and things like that. So, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm laughing so much about the the name of this disaster, the Love Canal, because I the feel Love like it's, Canal. It's just such a lovely name, and then it has one of the <laughs> dirtiest. I know stories. it's not loving, and there's no canal there. <laughs> it's just wrong on all levels. <laughs> Jayla was asking me when I was FaceTiming her, uh, not today, but last week, when I was just planning on starting to research this. She was asking me what the next topic was, and and I told I was like, oh, it's the love canal, and which she'd never heard of, and uh, she was like, oh, I'm glad you're not there for that one. And I was like, because you know how un- unromantic she is. Uh, <laughs> not all of our listeners have met Gemma, but she she doesn't believe in love, and uh, yeah. So I had to kind of explain. I was like, it's an actual disaster. It's not like the love boat or whatever. <laughs> There's nothing romantic about it. And there's no canal. No, 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 no canal anyway. Oh, that's the other thing. The canal, um, the state of New York also passed a law saying that you can't divert any water out of the Niagara River. So even if they'd finished building that community and it hadn't all fallen apart Uh for William T. Love, um, the canal would have ended up being shut down anyway because the Niagara Falls is such a huge tourist attraction and so important for the economy of the city of Niagara Falls. If uh-huh. they were diverting water out of the river, then the waterfall would look cool. Yep. And so now they're yeah they have a, a, a law in the state or in a local area or anything saying no water can be diverted out, out of the river. Hmm. So, um, it would have been an empty, ugly canal anyway, but possibly <laughs> not full of toxic sewage. Yeah, yeah. There you have it. The well, beautiful story you. of the love canal. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I, um, I, I was trying to think whether or not we've done one on pollution before, um, and, and you know, I, I like the fact that we're doing so many podcasts now that I 
can't think of them all, which is good. Um, but no, I, this is definitely a new one kind of out of left field for me. Um, very, very interesting. So where do our listeners go to if they want to do the, do more research on their end and learn more about it? Do you have some resources that you would recommend? I do. The, um, first of all, any of our listeners who are maybe a generation older than you and I, um, they probably know the whole story because they lived through it. It was it was major national news, and it it involved uh, you know a national presidential campaign. Uh-huh. Jimmy Carter was running for re-election, and it became this big issue. and And the creation of Superfund involved Congress, and it was and new taxes, and I mean it was it was in the news all the time in the late 1970s. Uh huh. And uh, so there's a and and of course that we had TV then, so. There's a million uh, news stories from the actual event, which you can go uh-huh. look on and watch on YouTube. Um, in fact, my favorite is the footage of the poor EPA workers who are not allowed to leave. Yeah. Um, that's my favorite part of the story. It's just, it's so funny. And these poor scientists, it's just, they're just trying to do their job. It's funny but, because um, it was only five hours long, and like it's I know. just well, long enough it, to it be funny. Worked, so. <laughs> I mean, it was just a media stunt in the end, but yeah, cracks me up. Um, okay, so that said, the New York Times they have put together a video, and it's part of their series called Retro Report. Uh-huh. They put together like a series of mini documentaries about a number of different major news stories over the past. 100 years or so, and um, so that's available online. Again, I don't have the actual address. We can post a link to it on the um, Facebook page, but um, really, if you just look up the New York Times Love Canal, you'll go right to it. And the, um, oh, shoot. There are, I didn't read the books, but there are a couple books about this, which you can find on Amazon, written by people who are actively involved, both um, there are some books that are written from an environmental science standpoint. And then mm-hmm. this was also a big story because of the way the community banded together and protested. And it was one of the first stories of a community successfully doing that. Uh-huh. Kind of this kind of lower income community getting together and fighting against the man or whatever. Yeah. Um, and actually succeeding. So, and, and the different tactics that they, that they used and, and, um, what they learned as they went along, et cetera. So there, there's also books about that. I'm sorry, I don't have any titles for you, but if you're interested, they're out there. And actually, this Wikipedia page for this is insanely long. Um, it includes, I mean, it's in very well-researched and well-documented uh, with sources and um, things like that. So it is a very good place to go if you want the whole story. Um, that's what I recommend, yeah. All right. Well, um, we also want to remind our followers before signing off um, just to be in touch with us to submit your favorite disaster um, that we should be covering next. Um, we want to hear about, uh, you know, it's, it, we all have a, you know, a family story. Um, you know, my grandparents went through this or my parents went through that. Um, so if, if you have got a, a, one like that where, where either A, um, you'd like to hear about it because you've got somebody involved or B, 
you want uh, us to consider interviewing somebody, please feel free to let us know. You can shoot yeah. us an email. Um, so our email address is calamitypodcast at yahoo.com. You can also find us by searching Calamity Podcast on Facebook. Um, our Twitter handle is at podcast calamity, so reverse. And uh, our website, which has all the links to all our social media pages, is www.calamitypodcast.com. And then last but not least, we've got the Patreon um, profile. If you want to support our, our project of spreading the word about calamity, um, both the good and the bad and, and how people, um, you know, bond together and, um, you know, find solutions to these difficult situations. We'd, um, We'd definitely love, love your support. Yeah, and if any of you have uh, stories about living on a toxic sledge heap, do get in touch. <laughs> We'd love to hear those stories. Well, don't forget, Jillian, we're, you know, from Washington State. We've got a lot of Hanford uh, listeners. I know, so. we've got We've got our own toxic sludge. Yeah, we're we're probably <laughs> gonna be inundated with emails now, so we'll be careful. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we hope you guys stay safe. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there, everybody.